Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but he finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, well, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said to him, we've left all we have to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. And Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him. 
insult him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they didn't know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Well, this is the word of the Lord, and now we're going to welcome Rich. He's going to come and speak. Thank you, church. Really good to be with you this morning. Great to be with those of you in the room. Great to be with those of you watching at home as well. There is a lot in that passage, isn't there? Some of you thinking, wow, this could be a really, really long preach. But there is a lot in this passage. There's these five big familiar stories, this mixture of parables that Jesus told and then encounters along the road to Jerusalem. And these stories are all about people. So you've got the parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge. There's the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector at the temple. There's the story of the disciples rebuking parents for bringing their kids to Jesus. And Jesus saying, no, let these little ones come to me. There's the encounter with the rich young ruler who wants eternal life but isn't prepared to give up what he has. And then finally, there's the story of the blind beggar who Jesus heals and who then becomes one of Jesus' followers. As John said, we're not going to go into huge detail in every story. But what we're going to do is we're going to pick out some key threads from these stories that tell us what it looks like to be followers of Jesus in this world, what it looks like to be kingdom people, if you like. See, each of these stories in their own right tells us much about the kingdom of God. But actually, when you put them together, almost like harmonies that come together to, to create this beautiful sound, you get this stunning picture of the grace of God. So why don't we pray together? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. Thank you for your wonderful presence as we worship you this morning. Thank you that you're here with us. And thank you for this word. Thank you for the word of God. I pray in our time together today, you'd help us to understand it and help us to understand more of who you are and more of how you see us. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, in each story in this chapter, there are some real contrasts between the characters involved. And what you see is that in almost every story, there's this thread, and it's this, that the kingdom character cries out. The kingdom character cries out. What I mean is that the, the character that Jesus celebrates and holds up as an example, the one who comes out of each story really well, is the one who cries out. So the persistent widow cries out to the judge for justice. The tax collector cries out for mercy. 
The blind beggar cries out for healing. And then there's one other character in these stories who goes away sad. But as we'll see, it's a self-centered sadness. It's the criers in the passage who Jesus celebrates. They're the ones who get justice. They're the ones who get welcomed into the kingdom and healed. They're the ones who go home justified before God. And some of you might think, well, great, I'm always crying. Others of you might not remember the last time you cried. Actually, for all of us in these stories, there's so much we can learn about the way these kingdom people cry out and more the heart behind these kingdom cries. There's both encouragement here and there's challenge about how we can come to Jesus. So we're going to look first at a couple of principles about how we can cry out to God and then we'll go a bit deeper under the surface to what's really at the heart of these stories. So two of these stories particularly encourage us in how we're to cry out to God and and they encourage us this, that we're, we're to be persistent, we're to be specific and we're to be bold. Persistent, specific and bold. Jesus tells this story about a persistent widow. And we don't know much about this woman. She might have been quite young, actually. In the ancient world, it wouldn't have been uncommon for a woman to be a widow in her 30s. But the fact she's a widow makes her vulnerable. And she knows that her only hope for justice comes through this judge. Her problem is that this judge lacks compassion. Twice in this very short story, it says of him that he didn't fear God or love people. Yet the widow gets the justice she needs, and she gets it through sheer, stubborn persistence. In verse 4 it says, Finally, he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Now what Jesus is not saying here is he's not saying that God is like that unjust judge. But he is commending the persistence of this woman. She keeps on crying out to the point where she wears this judge down. I wonder, have you ever been worn down by someone like that? I've mentioned before that we have a cat. Now, I never really wanted a cat particularly. I like cats, but I never really felt the need to own one. The reason we have a cat is because I was worn down by one of our kids. Every day on the way to school, it was... Daddy, can we get a cat? Can we get a cat, Daddy? Daddy, when can we get a cat? It was relentless. They wore me down, so I thought, just my own peace and quiet, let's get a cat. And so we got a cat. And you know what? It hasn't stopped at all. Now they're asking for a dog. (laughs) Or a horse. (laughs) And our cat now walks around our house, strutting around as this living testament to the persistence of my children. What is Jesus' point in this story? It's it's that we're to be persistent in our cries to God. Because if this judge who has no love or concern for this woman hears her cries and grants her justice, then how much more will a compassionate Father God bring about justice for his chosen ones? That's what it says in the passage, his chosen ones. That is who we are, church. We're his chosen ones, loved before the creation of the world, known by name set apart by him and for him. And so he calls us to come to him and to keep coming back to him, to cry out persistently and to cry out for God's kingdom to come. See, this story in Luke 18 comes immediately after the story that Neil preached on last week about the coming of God's kingdom. This encouragement to be persistent in prayer is in the context of praying for God's kingdom to come, praying that his justice would come into our world. 
I wonder, are there things of the kingdom that you've long since stopped crying out for? Because we can look at the state of the world today, at the injustice of it all, and we can wonder, when will justice come? Well, to be kingdom people is to keep crying out to God, to know that this life, with all its struggles and pain, is temporary, and to lift our eyes to the hope that is to come, and to keep crying out to the only one with the authority to bring perfect justice. Jesus encourages us to cry out persistently, and he invites us to cry out specifically. Jesus and his disciples are nearing Jericho, and this blind man is sitting by the side of the road begging. And he hears this crowd going by, and he's told, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd, they try to shush this man. Because why would Jesus have time for a man like this? I wonder, have you ever wondered if you're too insignificant for God to hear you? This man cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. And he asks that this man be brought to him. And then he asks him this wonderful question. What do you want me to do for you? Isn't that astonishing? That the Son of God, infinite and eternal and holy, would walk up close to this blind beggar and say, what do you want me to do for you? The kindness in that question. The humility of our God. See, Jesus knows exactly what that man needs, but the question gives that man dignity. He's saying, talk to me, tell me what's on your heart. What do you want me to do for you? And Jesus says to you this morning, what do you want me to do for you? So tell him. It's an encouragement to be specific. Don't pray vague prayers. Tell him what you want. Tell him what you really need. And notice this blind man is bold in what he asked for. He could so easily have lowered the ask once he had Jesus' attention. He could have easily carried on asking for money. But he is bold. He's courageous in his prayer. He says, Lord, I want to see. He prays this bold prayer because he understands exactly who Jesus is. That this isn't just Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus, son of David, the Messiah, the Saviour. See, the irony is that in some ways, this blind man sees more clearly than any other character in this chapter. He knows who Jesus is. He gets it. And so his cry is bold and full of faith. Are we that bold in our prayers? Jesus encouraged us to cry to him persistently and specifically and boldly, to keep on coming to him and to be honest about what we need, to pray these great, huge prayers full of faith, for ourselves and for the world around us, recognising who Jesus is. But let's go a little bit deeper here. What is really at the heart of the cries in these stories? Well, here's the question. What kind of cry does God listen to? See, there's another, chapter, another character in this chapter who goes away sad, and that's the rich young ruler. This man comes up to Jesus and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See, he knows there's something missing, but he doesn't know how to get hold of it. And Jesus challenges this man. He says, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the passage says that this young man went away sad because he was a man of great wealth. He wants eternal life, but not on those terms. He goes away sad, but it's a self-centered sadness. 
But the widow, the blind beggar, the tax collector, what is it that really draws the heart of God to these characters? I think it's this, that at the heart of their cries is a recognition of their deep need for help. That's what it is. See, the blind beggar knows that Jesus is his only hope for healing. The persistent widow knows it's only the judge who can give her justice. But perhaps this comes out most clearly in the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. So Jesus tells this story about two men who go up to the temple. And actually, they couldn't be more different. There's this Pharisee, this religious leader, respected in society, looked up to. On paper, he's doing all the right things. And then there's this tax collector, this traitor working with the oppressive Roman regime, despised by his own people, this leech on society. And yet, as so often in Jesus' stories, there's an unexpected twist in the story. It's the tax collector and not the Pharisee who goes home justified before God. Why is that? It's because of what's going on in their hearts. Verse 11 says this, The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. In other words, thank you, God, for me. See, the Pharisee isn't doing the wrong things. He's doing the right things with the wrong heart. And he brings them to God like a badge of achievement. There's no cry for God's help there because the Pharisee doesn't think he needs it. But the tax collector's cry is very different. See, he stands far off at a distance. And he's so aware of his sin that he can't even look up to heaven. And his cry is a messy cry. He's beating his chest. It's loud. It's public. It's undignified. But his cry is so simple. He just says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the tax collector goes home justified, made right with God. His status now eternally changed. The heart of God will always be drawn to a heart that cries for mercy. It's just what our God is like. Scripture says this, that he's near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's Psalm 34. In James 4 verse 6, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Psalm 149 verse 4 says, he crowns the humble with victory. See, the key difference between the characters in these stories is a heart difference. It's a contrast between those who admit they need God and those who don't. I remember a time in my 20s when I used to cry every week in church. Seriously, every week. The worship music would start and I'd be welling up. What was that? Well, there was just something about the freshness and the wonder of the gospel. I cried because I recognized something of my sin and my need for a rescuer. And I experienced the grace of God through Jesus. And it undid me in a way that is hard to put into words. Do you know, I've noticed I don't cry so often in church anymore. And actually, I think that's okay. If we all burst into tears each time the music started, I'm not sure how encouraging that would be for the worship leader. But it does challenge me as I read these stories. Do I still recognize my need for a saviour? Do I still cry out to God? As I walk with Jesus, am I trusting in the grace of God, crying out for more of him? Or are there areas in my life where I'm becoming self-reliant 
instead of reliant on the Spirit. Here's what I'd like to know. What happens to the tax collector 20 years down the line? You know, like those stories where they track down celebrities and ask, where are they now? Well, where's the tax collector 20 years later? What happens as he grows in his discipleship? Does he still trust in the grace of God? Or does his heart become proud like the heart of the Pharisee? See, if humility draws the heart of God, pride always turns it away. What is pride? Well, the Christian author C.J. Mahaney writes that pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. That's what it is. When we aspire to the status of God, it's when we rob God of the glory he deserves and try to glorify ourselves instead, like a child who claims the glory for his friend's work. Pride blinds us to the truth of who we really are before God. In fact, it takes our eyes off of God completely and focuses on ourselves. Pride makes my heart say, why cry out to God when I have everything I need already? And this is a danger for Christians as well as for those who are not yet followers of Jesus. John Stott writes this, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. See, it's not that we only need the gospel when we first become Christians. It's always about the gospel. In fact, the more we get to know Jesus, the more we see our sin and realize how, how much we need God, how, how totally dependent we are on him. So how do we spot pride in our hearts? How do I know if my heart has become proud? Well, it will often come out in how I view other people. Like that Pharisee, he said, God, I thank you I'm not like this tax collector. Whenever we find ourselves doing that and looking down on other people, comparing ourselves to them, thinking, at least I'm not like them. Well, we should see this as a nudge to examine our own hearts. Take it as a chance to praise and thank God again for everything that we have. Do you know, if we're trusting in anything other than the grace of God, like that rich young ruler holding tightly to his wealth and his possessions, like they're the main thing, then it's likely much more fragile than we think. We're having some building work done on our house at the moment. The builders started the other week. They built this brand new wall. And then the next week, the storm hit and blew the new wall down completely. All that work just down in a gust of wind. What are we building? What are, what are we placing our trust in? And we've seen this over the last couple of years, haven't we, in the lockdowns. Many of the things that we always took for granted taken away. And now we watch the scenes from the Ukraine, people's livelihoods, homes and lives destroyed in a moment. Do you know, peace is fragile. Life is fragile. What are we placing our trust in? Have we taken our eyes off of God? Do we still recognize our need for a rescuer? If not, we must come back to the cross. See, if these stories tell us about the cries of the kingdom, well, what about the response of the king? Because, of course, there's one person in the pages of Luke's gospel that we've read today, one person here that we haven't really talked about much, and that's the storyteller himself. The one who tells the parable of the persistent widow and the tax collector. The one who welcomes the little children and heals the blind beggar. Do you know, I've once heard it said that the four Gospels are meant to be read 
backwards. I like that, that they're meant to be read backwards. In other words, when we read the parables and conversations and encounters in the Gospels, we're meant to read them already knowing how the story ends. Each story is meant to be read under the shadow of the cross and the resurrection. And you know, right in the middle of this passage, Jesus takes his 12 disciples to one side and he explains to them what he's going to do. And they don't get it. He says this, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples didn't understand in that moment what Jesus was telling them, but we live on the other side of the cross. We live in the knowledge that Jesus came and he lived the perfect life for us. And then he went to the cross so that he could take the punishment for every sin we've ever committed and every sin we ever will commit, everything we've ever done or said or thought that's wrong, so that we could be totally forgiven. And we could go home justified and made righteous before God. Our status eternally changed. See, the problem with the rich young ruler is he asked the wrong question. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Whenever we make it about what we can do, we totally miss the point. We miss grace. We don't find eternal life through our works and accomplishments. We, we come like helpless babies, totally dependent on the grace of God. See, actually, every story in this chapter sings about Jesus. It's all about him. And unlike the rich young ruler, the true King Jesus gave up everything. He humbled himself. As the Apostle Paul put it, he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why did he do that? He did it so that unrighteous people like you and me could be made righteous before God. So that people who've done nothing to earn it could know eternal life. See, in the kingdom, social status means nothing. Self-reliance means nothing. It's all about grace. And now we don't have to stand far off like the tax collector. We're welcomed into the very presence of God. We don't have to wonder, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because Jesus has won eternal life for us. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to invite the band to come back up wherever they are at the room. We're going to break bread in, in a few moments' time. Um, and we're going to worship before we do that. Do you know, I love this chapter in Luke's Gospel. I love this chapter in Luke's Gospel. And the reason I love it is this. It's because in every story, everything that we want to happen, happens. Everything that we really need to happen, happens. The persistent widow gets the justice that she wants. The tax collector goes home justified before God. The blind beggar gets healed. And you know, life doesn't feel like that right now, that everything that we want to happen, happens. I don't think life has ever really felt like that. We see glimpses and signs of God's kingdom, but we live in a broken world. But you know, a day is coming when we'll no longer have to cry for justice and mercy and healing because God's kingdom will come in all its fullness. 
And those who've put their trust in Jesus for their salvation will see perfect justice and perfect healing. And King Jesus will reign in all his glory. And in that day, Scripture says that he will wipe away every tear from their eye. But until that day, God's people cry. We cry out to our Father for justice, for ourselves and for those around us. We cry out for healing. We cry out knowing there's always hope. So let's be a people who cry out persistently, specifically and boldly and with a humble heart, knowing how dependent we are on the grace of God. So we stand together. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful grace. Jesus, we thank you for what these passages teach us about who you are. The glorious King who came and gave up everything for us. Thank you for your grace. And Lord, where we've turned away from you, where we've put our faith and our trust in other things, I pray that right now you draw us back again to you. You draw us back to what you did for us at the cross. You fix our eyes again on you, Jesus. Thank you, you're so full of grace. Thank you, you're so full of us. Thank you, thank you that you came so that we could be forgiven and brought back into God's family. Your grace is incredible, God. Draw us back again, I pray, to what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's continue to fix our eyes on Jesus as we worship him.